going down. Like when I met Mike, I had nine credits in high school. Mm. Now I only need two more left, uh-huh. and it's been a year. You know, right. so that that alone says a lot about what the program has done for me. And thank you, Kevin McDaniel, for bringing us that piece about My Brother's Keeper in the Monticello School District. Coming up next here on WJFF, Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel. And you're tuned to WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello. In the world of early music, you can journey to the sublime realm of chant, hear the passion of an Italian Baroque violin sonata, or enjoy the excitement of a lively Renaissance dance. I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join me for Harmonia, coming to you each week from this public radio station. Harmonia can be heard Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. here on WJFF. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. My name is Grant Genslinger. I'm the chef owner of Settlers Inn in Holly, Pennsylvania, which is a, a historic small boutique hotel in the upper Delaware River region of Pennsylvania. Grant, how did you end up here in this town? My short story is, as a young boy, I came up with my parents who had a house on Lake Wall and Paulpac. So did my grandparents from very early on. So I was a summer lake brat. And although I have six brothers and sisters, I'm the only one who didn't go home. So I ended up here and, of course, met my wife, Jeannie, who was from the community. And uh, we pitched our tents, so to speak, and started our professional life in the community. I'm interested to learn from you what you were looking for then that was the impetus or the catalyst for what you've created in in this town. The interest when we moved here permanently after I graduated from college, we rented a rather large organic farm. And as a young couple with children, uh, we're interested in a sustainable lifestyle and organic farming. So we began with that and augmented our farm life by working in the hospitality industry. That eventually led to my interest in farm-to-table cooking, knowing where your food comes from, local sourcing, and so our restaurant for the last 35 years has been a farm-to-table restaurant. That's been my abiding interest in the community. So you began as a young adult, Grant, you've just been sharing with us with living on an organic farm, and that began this journey for you into this experimentation and expertise with local agriculture, with organic farming and food, and and that has led you to your business in hospitality and with businesses in the town that you live in. What has this journey been then for you with organic farming, food, and and the food business? I think for me, uh, the interest has been and developed that although I'm a chef, and I could have been a chef, plain and simple. 
the enrichment of being a chef that knows the farmers and speaks to them and the people who grow and produce the food. And that relationship, without that, I don't think I would have continued for this length of time. And that has been and still is a very enriching and driving experience. A lot of the new things that I'm involved with now, we now have two restaurants, a local coffee shop. We have a specialty food store specializing in representing local foods. It has taken me from one place to another, but the constant has been the sense of relationship and community in the food region that we have, which, of course, uh, has grown from a few farmers to now a very rich and full experience of artisan cheesemakers, farmers, beef producers, lamb producers. So it has really come into its own, which is energizing in its own right. And as you're referring to this region, we're in Holly, Pennsylvania, your hometown, what encompasses this region when you're thinking about the food that grows and is produced? What is unique about this region? I think in terms of circles, so I don't think in terms of state borders, uh, Pennsylvania versus New York or New Jersey, I think in terms of concentric circles close to where I'm located. So the primary circle is 50 miles. So I'm very interested in finding and establishing relationships with all within that 50-mile circle that I can represent. It's less about me as a chef than it is me representing the wonderful things that are grown and produced. Beyond 50 miles would be a 100-mile circle. 200-mile circle is still within reason for some things, particularly in the sustainable organic movement. There are a lot of small family farms. Our restaurant, our flagship Settlers Inn, has as our mission statement for 35 years helping support small family farming in our region, which not only helps farming, but it helps the quality of life because I drive by those beautiful farms every single day. And that viewscape is part of what they've given me as well as the food. So there's a very holistic approach, I think, in this whole process that has kept my interest. Why is that significant for you to have a holistic approach? I think that the long term is that whole circle and within circle approach is the only way to make things sustainable. If I as a chef one year buy from a farmer and then next year decide not to, that interrupts the flow of food and the commitment of mine and the commitment of the farmer. And it's important that that continuity and that depth of relationship takes place because that's long-term sustainability. And that's what builds. It's not sustainable for there to be one farm-to-table chef. It's sustainable when the preponderance of all of the eating establishments are farm-to-table because then the support is there to encourage more people to grow and produce within the region. And thinking about these relationships that you have with the growers and producers, with the farmers, your, as you said, your flagship restaurant here in the community is the Settlers Inn, and you have been making food. You have been the chef for 35 years at the location. So do you still have relationships with some of the original growers or producers, and how does that evolve? The short answer is yes, we still have relationships. I, of course, because I'm aging ungracefully, um, (laughs) have turned a lot of the cooking over to younger chefs. So the role that I believe that I have now is helping young chefs learn about 
farm-to-table relationships and how to cook within that and those kind of things. I have a great number of growers and producers that I have known for the last 35 years, and we're just great friends. And we also are great, passionate people that continue to worry about how to make the food system more sustainable and more long-term. And that's kind of the interest right now is in a within-circle food hub of how to get the food from where it's grown and produced to where it's consumed, whether it's a restaurant, a school, a government agency, an institution, other restaurants. Expanding that is the puzzle and getting the food from here to there so everybody isn't running around. Remember, we're a rural region, so we're rich in what we have, but you can't go 40 miles to get maple syrup and then go 30 miles the other way to get a piece of cheese. Farmer's markets are great, but there needs to be a building beyond that to help get the food from where it's grown and produced to where it's consumed. What are you envisioning then to make that happen? Well, I think it takes every segment from the farmers, farmers markets, restaurants, to institutions, for instance, schools. The schools should be turning their mind and their pocketbook to locally raised food. The children are going to school, they're from the community, so there's just a lot about that and what they can learn and what they can be exposed to is just so rich. So the work that I see in the near future is those kind of things. Um, Senior citizen centers. um, We've been recently talking to the county prison that there is just a lot that could be done that could make things better. But within that puzzle is all of these problems. Well, who's going to drive around and pick everything up? Right now, everybody's running around. We're waving at each other as we drive by, going this way, going that way and some days aren't so positive for farmers' markets. And so there's a maturity that has to happen, and every player has the distributor, the farmer, the restaurant tour, the school district. Everybody has to change their mindset and try to figure out the answer to the puzzles. Grant, why do you think food, it seems to be the central point for you, and you describe these concentric circles, but why do you think that is? And what intersects somehow or could be interlocks with these concentric circles that you've described? Well, what's interesting now is my life has been in food, so it's easy for me to think that way. But what's interesting now, it's really interesting to go to a county commissioner's meeting and have them talking about it. And food is a very nurturing thing. It's nurturing to get together with people and eat it, to talk about it, to drive around, um, People probably see me in my little Mini Cooper driving around from here to there, picking up cheese and all of those things. It's nurturing. It makes people feel good. And the quality of what we are doing now is very high. We're getting recognized from without our region for the quality of what people are doing here. And so those are the kind of things that I think make it a very rich experience. And what are some of the examples of food that is growing here that you would cook with that you look forward to going to the farm or the producer because it anchors you in this community, in this location? Ironically here, because we're in a mountain, very diverse 
climate that is full of little microclimates. You have specialties of produce, and the things that I've enjoyed, for instance, is that a lot of the produce farmers, for instance, specialize in Asian produce, and I have a historical background in that and a great interest, so it's ironic that my next-door neighbors are growing things that on my trips to China from years ago sparked my memory. So it's energizing in that way. The other thing is the maturity. 30 years ago, there was one artisan cheesemaker that I was buying from. Now I'm buying from nine. Have their specialties, whether it's Hanjus and their mozzarella or the Amish and their extra sharp raw milk cheddars or whatever. The breadth of the food is uh, very, very intriguing to me. The maturity of the market of the breadbasket, if you will, is so, so much different. We're supporting, I believe it's 13 farmers markets in the region right now, where when I started uh, at my restaurant, there weren't any. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's just, there's a lot going on. And when you see the farmer's market and the social commerce that takes place at farmer's market, not the buying and the selling, but the social commerce of so-and-so coming every Friday to Hawley to get Marsh's bread. Those are the kind of things that are the long-term sustainability and the enrichment factor, the, the fun of that social commerce, not the money commerce. So that social commerce, so, so a kind of a civic ecology yes. that you're addressing, how does that translate? Because as you're talking about your interest, your commitment to local food production, to farming, to organic produce, and to the the making of food as a chef for many years, as having businesses that are sharing these foods with people in the community. What is the significance of this kind of social commerce that you're describing happens when people go to a farmer's market or they learn about food that comes from where they are sitting and eating? I think that that's part of the interest that now with schools for interest, when they had someone that interviewed children at a school, an elementary school, and most of the people, the children, did not know where potatoes came from. They did not know they grew in the ground, for crying out loud. So there's a lot of things that need to start happening there. There's the other aspects of food can be a lifting experience. I'm interested right now with some groups that working together on is food waste. Farmers grow things. They don't sell everything at the farmer's market. Is how are we going to handle excess and prepare it and perhaps give it the food pantries or whatever. It's something that you see in urban areas, but in a rural area you do not see. And that is a puzzle that could be extremely beneficial in the community. Nobody's solved it yet. Part of the social commerce that I experience when I go around or go to farmers markets is that somebody is going to think of the solution. Everybody is getting together. There's a buzz about food hubs and food movement and all of these things. Some bright mind is going to say, oh, here's the way we're going to solve that for the community. I'm encouraged because that buzz of social commerce is going to bring up the solutions, how we get the food around, how we maximize the return for the farmers, how we take care of waste, how we help feed the needy. There's a lot. There's a lot. But it's going to come out of all of that social commerce somehow. The social commerce that you're addressing and your entrance is through food. That's what you're sharing with us. So this becomes the entry point for many issues. And, and also I'm 
interested in how, since you're in the hospitality business and food is your entry point to share with people and community, I'm interested in you sharing with us why that is and why is it that you have engaged your entire adult life in celebrating this community where, where we are right now in Holly, Pennsylvania. Well, being in the hospitality business you have the great pleasure of seeing and speaking to a lot of different people. And people that come, for instance, to my restaurant, they're interested in where their food comes from. So my obligation and my pleasure is to tell the story behind the food. Every restaurant uses cheddar cheese, but the story of LaRaysville cheese and how they saved the community with their cheese operation is just, I could tell that story Every day. Well, I want to hear this story. A dairy cooperative in the north was going out of business, and they decided to pull out. And the Amish farmers got together, and they said, you know what? We need to keep going. And so one of them stepped forward and went and learned cheesemaking and said, don't give up dairy farming. Bring your dairy to me, and we're going to make the traditional Amish cheeses of where we came from, and now they are very successful, and I think they support 40 farms with that operation. So that's a story, and they do traditional things, which I could tell those stories too, but uh, that are just meaningful. Their cheese is terrific. Their five-year raw milk cheddar is out of this world. So there's that, there's that part. That, so in my hospitality life at our store, I, at the hotels, I like my folks to tell those stories because the customers are asking the questions. And that's an enrichment as well that will pay back because those people will remember, oh, they had something at Settlers or something at Glass Wine Bar, and oh, they'll go to my market and they'll buy that product from Farmer X. There's a lot in that response, and that sounds a little convoluted, but it, that story and the telling of it, the hospitality industry, can play a big part of telling that story to visitors, a bunch of whom will be just like me, who came from somewhere else, settled here, and then becomes part of the community. I mean, that's been a wave that's been going on in our region. A great pleasure is to see a lot of the people that have settled in our region have settled here because of those quality of life things. The food, the small farming communities, the viewscapes, all of those things. So they settled for the same reason I came, the same reason my grandfather chose to come up here. So there's, there's yes. that, that, that wave of what draws people, which hasn't changed that much. What does draw people here? I would love to hear your story because you stayed. You spent time here as a boy and you decided to live here full time to make this your life. And so what is it? And also it seems to me with what you're sharing with us that what you're doing is about a celebration of your home, of the place that you live, and the gateway for you is food. What is it for somebody who hasn't been here? Well, I, I think somewhat it's the memory of from when you're young of just remembering coming and to this beautiful area for outdoor recreation hiking, walking, all of the different things that when I was young. So moving here is sort of reliving 
those visual memories. And every day, I, my wife and I say, we live in a great place. We just live in a great place of outdoor wonder, wonderful, uh, sustainable practices. They're blooming. Yes, it's a rural way of life. Yes, it's seasonal. has all of those economic consequences, but we've been fortunate that we've been able in the hospitality industry to do that year-round. I remember when we opened 35 years ago, one of the things was, okay, we're going to be open every single day, 365 days a year, and there were days when no one came in the door. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that idea of being the small hotel for the community is a statement. It's not just a business plan. It's a statement that everybody knows, okay, I can go there to the inn for dinner. My relatives, when they visit, can stay there. So there's those kind of things. So that continues to draw me, and again, the stories that you can tell of your life living here to others is a lot of good memories. There's a lot of good hikes that have been taken. My wife right now is in part of a bike group, and they go biking all over the place, all of that. So there's those enriching things that it's in our backyard. And there are challenges, too, though, to being in a small town in a rural community (laughs) It seems that with your commitment to local food production and farming, that this is a way to seek out also a kind of sustainability, a kind of local economy that can grow, because there are so many complexities with small rural towns throughout the country. Yes, and here because we are a very seasonal-based economy and a tourism-based economy, which has its positives, also has its negatives. But to make sustainability is economic sustainability, not just quality of life. And a lot of small farmers will tell you it's hard to go to three or four farmers markets a week and some days bring home $12 after standing there chatting with people for three hours. Mm -hmm. There is a bigger picture that is... I don't know if the word is serious, but it is definitely economic to figure out how to make that a livable situation for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And that is a struggle in this community, sure. Grant, what are some of the... You were talking about the stories that, that connect customers to the food they're eating to this location here in Holly, Pennsylvania. What are some, I'd like to hear some more of those stories. Yeah, at Settlers Inn, um, we have pretty extensive gardens, which I, I refer to as visual pleasure gardens with a purpose. And so a lot of our flowers and herbs that are planted for visual pleasure, for weddings and those kind of things, serve a purpose I think we have probably 30 kinds of edible flowers that we pick from and those kind of things. And so our connection on property is that kind of thing. I don't pretend as a chef, when I say farm to table, I don't pretend I grow every green bean and every muddy out of your mind. (laughs) I have a very busy restaurant, so I rely on my stalwarts in the farming community to flush out the things that I have. And I concentrate on the things here that add value to my customers. So the visual part of it is very important, the sight, the sound, components of of things. So I have my smokehouse in the backyard, you know, and all, all of those things that are part of 
the food experience that, that we do is pretty important. Relationships with growers and producers are just, it's a constant learning and growing experience. I have some friends and farmers, John Krasinski from over the other side of the Delaware. He's been my friend and farmer friend for 35 years. We did his daughter's wedding. We've done parties at his farm for people. And there's a richness there and a fun there. And in the human experience, everybody is vastly different. So to have a relationship and go find fun, for instance, I mentioned uh, Raysville cheese, my friend Jim Amory. Um, they're very traditional, very, very strict. So they use wood rakes. They're not allowed to be present if any inoculations are in the room. or any, They're very dedicated to what they produce. And so those enriching stories, is, they're, they're just terrific stuff. What are some of your delights? Growing season, perhaps there's a fruit or a vegetable or something that you wait for and you have a connection with. Well, I enjoy seasonality, and I enjoy things that come quickly and directly from the earth or from around me. So we have a long-standing relationship with the oldest trout hatchery in the United States in Blooming Grove, and it's not a pen hatchery. It's a mountain stream hatchery, so there's a terrific story there. So I love that getting fresh trout daily, which brings me memories of when I was young fishing where we would catch the fish and pan fry them for breakfast with eggs and all, all of those things are part of what make you up. So, And how long has that trout hatchery been there? 130 years or something like that. Yeah, there's just great stories that way, but I have a few foragers now uh, that do fiddlehead ferns and ramps and those kind of things. Um, I had a housekeeper who was a dear friend of mine at, at the hotel that first introduced me to cooking with ramps. She was from West Virginia. One of the stories she told was she used to sneak out with her uncle during ramp season to pick ramps but she was regularly sent home from school because if you went to school with ramp breath, <laughs> you were not allowed to stay in school when you were in elementary school. So oh. she gave me a bunch of recipes from West Virginia. Uh, so I had never even heard of ramps until I came to upstate New York, <clears throat> and they're wild leeks, yeah. and they have a very short growing season, yeah. and they're not anything like the cultivated leeks. Yeah, that so I the, knew it's about. just fun stuff. So part of that now is every spring ramp season, where I used to pick her a big bouquet of ramps uh, for her. She wrote me a poem ode to ramps. <laughs> She was a lovely poet. But anyway, so those stories, so the, <laughs> my favorite foods are the foods that have the best stories, mm -hmm. I guess what I'm trying yes. to say. I'm not tied to this or to that or to spring or to summer, although there is a richness, there's a rich newness to spring and there's a full richness to fall, that it's hard to compete with all of the great stuff, those periods. Summer's great. But there's a richness in the fall, in harvest, and in all of those things. There's a new richness in spring when you're seeing all of these things coming out of the woods or from farms and everything. So that's what I tie to my favorite 
part of things. And Grant, you mentioned that you grow here at the Settlers in 30 or something edible flowers. What are some of those edible flowers? Oh my goodness. Um, there's a lot of edible flowers. There's standard things like nasturtiums, but anise hyssop, uh, chrysanthemum. There is uh, calendula, which you dry the petals and it gives you stains, rice of saffron type colors. Mm. So there's a lot of Chinese garlic chives. Oh my goodness, wax begonias. There's a lot of things that you see visually that are also edible. Scarlet runner beans. So when you look at my gardens, they look a little messy sometimes, but that's because I've got stuff all over that I need to use right. <laughs> in the kitchen or whatever. So there's a, there's a lot. I, and of course, part of being a chef, if you're into farm to table and those kind of things, is all of the interns you get, teaching them what a f- edible flower is, is an enriching experience, yes, if absolutely. a little weird. <laughs> absolutely. So it's, it's that kind of thing. Plus the visuals of edible flowers, um, you know, because we do a lot of weddings and special events. There's a lot of that that goes on, too, which is fun. A pleasure in where we live, and I don't know if this is statistically a fact, but that our region has more small towns than anywhere in the United States, like towns of under 500 or 100 or 50. You drive a mile and you're in a new small rural town that has its history and this area is full of amazing history which is another thing that is rich for me not just the natural wonder but you know research the Pennamite war between Pennsylvania and Connecticut where they were fighting over where we're sitting (laughs) you know and those kind of stories that are also enriching so there's a multi-dimension to this region which is worth exploring, whether it's food, history, uh, or small communities. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grant. My name is Grant Genslinger. We are at Settlers Inn in Holly, Pennsylvania, a historic small hotel in Wayne County, Pennsylvania, in the upper Delaware River region. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. To find out more about Confluence, please visit www.confluencevoices.com. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make trailer talk.